Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Man, I don't know about you, I just love my church so much. I'm so grateful for every last one of you. Uh, thank you for being here and in our lives and just letting us pastor you has been like the greatest honor of our life. It's just awesome. Uh, the big days, the little days, just awesome. It's such a blessing. Uh, I am, I just really am. I'm just so thankful and blessed. And I've been a part of numerous other churches on staff. I used to be used to tour churches. I've been in more churches than I can remember at this point, and uh, it's really true, because for a while there, when we were two churches, kids would come up, hey, you remember me? I'd be like, sure, <laughs> you know, because we just went to so many churches, you know, toured with our ministry team, you know, eventually you just forget where you were and who you're with, and Thrive really is the best church I've ever been a part of, so... Thank you. I love you, church. Um, so we're talking through 1 Corinthians. So on that note, we're talking through 1 Corinthians. Not a great church. <laughs> Struggling church. Church that has a mess of problems. Um, it's amazing. It doesn't, I would argue, you could say the older a church gets, the worse it gets. That's really not true, right? It, it really has much more to do with obedience and the right heart no matter how old a church is or not. If they're right with the Lord, if they're seeking God, if they're hungry for God, they're gonna be a good church. And if they're not, they're gonna be a bad church. If Jesus is number one, they're gonna be a good church. And if not, they're gonna, they're gonna experience suffer and struggling. And, and, and they're also going to avoid the good struggle. They're gonna run from good pain. And that's what he starts talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter four. Before we get to that quick story, driving through Texas, a New Yorker collided with a truck carrying a horse. A few months later, he tried to collect damages for his injuries. The insurance company's lawyer said, how can you claim to have all these injuries? According to the police report at the time, it said, you were not hurt. Look, said the New Yorker, I was lying on the road in a lot of pain, and I heard someone say the horse had a broken leg. Next thing I know, this Texas Ranger pulls out a gun and shoots the horse, turns to me and says, are you okay? <laughs> right? How many of us, like, we don't love pain and struggle and what can come. None of us love running into it. The truth is this life, it's going to come. Jesus promised it. Trouble will come. <laughs> That's like one of the promises we don't talk about. We're all like, Philippians 4.13, here we go. And it's like... Yeah, do you know who wrote that? And do you know why he wrote it? <laughs> uh, he didn't say, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because things were going awesome, uh, because they were going awful. You know, but God, and God used, I mean, we're all sitting here today, and the conversation we're having is about that man, about that man of God who endured so much and suffered so greatly. Great suffering. Maybe caused by the world, maybe caused by you. I don't know. But whatever it is, it is never, ever wasted. 
And sometimes, just sometimes, it's even ordained by God in order to improve us. So this message, 1 Corinthians 4 today, is called From Problems to Power. If you want to go to your Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, I've started bringing a physical Bible back to church again. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> and uh, like us reading our Bibles, it's, I'm really onto something here. And so if you have one, like my, my stuff's still in my notes, but it's just something about the Word. And so if you get a chance, and if you are, get it, bring it. And, and, and read from it if you can. And also then you know. He's not lying. It's in there. All right? So verse, I'm starting at verse 8, and we're going to go through verse 13. All right? You think you already have everything you need. You think you're already rich. You've begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning already, and then we'd be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. What a pick-me-up Paul's writing there. Just, <laughs> he would not fit, I think, in certain churches today. Like, Anyway, all right. We become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're so powerful. You are honored, we're ridiculed. Even now, we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We're often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us, and we're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently. Even when evil things are said about us, we're treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. He does not have a positive word to say in Corinthians, does he? Just like, it's just, and he's writing to a church that they are problematic. They are a problem church. Guys, years ago, remember that movie? I'm going way back. Problem Child. Anybody remember that movie? The church in Corinth was problematic. They caused problems. They were a problem child. You would never see that movie or hear that now. You know why? Because we believe in a Darwinian worldview that says it's all in nurture. It's, it's, it's almost a Freudian worldview where it's all in how it's raised, right? We don't believe, you know, there's no bad dog. It's just bad owners. That's not true. Okay, there's no bad, there's no bad, there's no bad people, oh, bad kids, just bad parents, also not entirely true, right? Because it's a both and. We understand God made us in some ways great with his image, but we're also born with a sin nature. We're gonna, we have the capacity for great good. We also have the capacity for great evil, okay? And, and, and that's what makes us different than angels and demons and animals, Right? Because we have the power of choice. We are different. We are unique. We're God's design, but we're this hybrid of the spiritual and the natural. And in that hybrid, we have this choice to be good or bad all the time. And, and 
Not only that, collectively, when we come together, anybody see a large group of people do large good? I, I would hope so, maybe not on the news, but I would hope so, right? Of course you have. But anybody ever seen large groups of people do bad? Now we can talk about the news, right? That happens all the time. We've seen large groups of people doing bad who think they're doing good. Well, this church in Corinth is a group of people. They're not super large. But it's a, it's a strong church that is meeting consistently, that is living in sin and fighting over stupid stuff and tearing each other down and just living double lives. And, and Paul basically says, you, you think you've arrived and you're, you're just a problem child. <laughs> you've not arrived at nothing. You're not growing up. And you need to go through some fire to grow up. You need to hear some hard words. You need to be burned a little bit in a good way. Okay, so I I like uh, this quote from commentary. In contrast to those on whom Jesus pronounces a blessing, the Corinthians felt no lack. If we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about blessed are those who mourn, the poor, the suffering. Like it's a list that we don't talk about very often. Let's go back to Philippians 4.13. Okay, let's go back to Philippians 4.13. Paul was beaten, left for dead, stoned, called uh, kicked out of the church when he first got into it, blind when he first met Jesus Christ, like, and also the worst one, celibate. Just awful, like beginning to end, rough deal. You know, he was good with the celibate part. If you're like, that's been thrust upon me. That's not God, and it'll come. Okay? Paul chose that life, and it was for him. You're like, the Catholic Church says that. Good for them. (laughs) I can't do it. Uh, Praise God. I got a beautiful wife. So what we have now is we have the same breakdown. We have the same falling apart of the church because of this cultural indoctrination. See, Corinth was a section or province of Rome, and in this province, people, they thought very highly of themselves. They had great philosophers. They, they, had, they had conquered the known world. They were considered the best of all peoples. And they thought of themselves, what's interesting, like, you can become a Christian, but not and still be in Corinth, you know? We can still be of the world even though we're supposed to be of Christ. You know, Christ changes our lives, but we're not fully changed. It's, it's kind of like you can take the Israelites out of Egypt, but it's much harder to take the Egypt out of the Israelites. Same thing's happening here. And Paul's trying to tell them, no, 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 no. You need to, the thing you need to deconstruct is not your Christianity, it is your culture. That's what's broken. Your worldview from them is what is wrong. It's not Jesus. And it's not your view of the church. They were fighting over things in the church because that was their mentality. Who is the best philosopher? Who has the greatest mind? Who is the smartest among us? I think it's happening now. Leon Morris said, but it's also possible. I I missed the wrong one. (laughs) 
He said something, here it is, Western theology could be characterized, Daryl Guder, Western theology could be characterized as a process of explaining why the Sermon on the Mount does not apply to us. We don't want it. We want to be blessed. Okay, let's go back to the list. Blessed are the poor. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I just, we're, we're going to overcome death and see all the dead rise. Blessed are they who mourn. If you think you're going to see everybody rise from the dead who gets sick and dies, you have a messed up theology. I love you. Your theology is wrong. Jesus didn't even do that. He raised some, not most. That being said, can Jesus raise the dead? Yes, all the time, if he wants to. And one day, he will. We will all rise, and the grave will be defeated once and for all. And that's going to be an awesome day. But if you think that's going to happen every time, it's not a correct view. It's a, it's a broken view. And I think these ideas that it's, am I culturally comfortable? Do I fit in? Is it going the way I want it to go? That's not the idea. Now again, there's Christians who would say, well, our job is not to fight culture. No, it isn't. Our job is to follow Jesus. And at times, that's salt and light. We talk about it all the time. Salt and light, if we're the salt of the earth, sometimes that adds flavor, and sometimes it agitates wounds. It does both. That's what it is to follow Jesus. Right now, what I would tell you, we are, if you are a true Christ follower now, you are going to agitate culture more than hold its hand. Because our culture is more anti-Christ than it's ever been. And by that I mean America. It doesn't embrace the ideas of an orthodox biblical Christianity. It just doesn't. And Corinth didn't either. And, and so Paul's trying to tell them, you're going to have to stop this. And you're going to have to start seeing this through a Christ-following lens. And we're dealing with that now. We're dealing with that type of fallout. Among millennials, 44% claim a biblical worldview. Results from the American worldview inventory, however, reveal that just 4% actually have one. Among the 53% of Gen Xers, I'm in that crossover space of Gen X, uh, only 6% actually have a worldview. And as for the 54% of baby boomers, there are only 8% of those who are 75 which accounts for 62%, only 8% truly have a world view, biblical worldview. As far as being true, biblical, orthodox, Christ-following people, you are in the single digits if you are one. Now I would argue, if you're here, meeting God, loving on God, in a gym, you're probably on the right mark. You're probably, you're probably in that lane somewhere, right? You're moving in that direction. But the world around you isn't. Now, again, they're not your enemy, but they're also probably not going to be your friend when it comes to your views. Our job isn't to beat them up with it, but our job also is not to become like them. I read this great quote the other day, and I may mess it up, but it was Jesus hung out with sinners, but he didn't become like them. And I was like, man, that is good. 
The sinners change, not Jesus. See the difference? And that's what happens. Jesus was so loving, but also so firm. They, do you honestly think they would have even dared asked him to enter into their sin? No. But they also didn't feel afraid to ask them into their home. That's a powerful dynamic that I think we need to get a little down a little bit better. Where we are unbelievably hospitable and loving and holy at the same time. And I think God's calling us to that. But it's painful. And sometimes as Christians, God's going to call us into things that are going to begin to burn and hurt us and cause pain for our growth. Those who follow Christ are willing to walk out anything to get closer to the one we walk with. Revelation says it this way, 12.11, they've defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. Some people are like, Christianity is going to be outlawed one year from today. I don't think so. I think it'll be a slow fade, and I think it's happening. Right? I mean, you, have, you have people whose businesses are being sued and taken all the way to the Supreme Court, because they just want to hold up a biblical worldview and practice in their life. That's it. For example, you know, and I, I won't go down, too far down this road, but the Colorado baker was taken to court. If you don't know, homosexual couple wanted him to make a cake, but he was targeted. It was a group. It wasn't a thing. He even said, I'll do anything. The only thing I can't do is decorate this for your wedding. I'll make you any cake you want. So they took him all the way to Supreme Court. In the, event, in the end, he won. So now what's happening? A trans couple is coming in, saying the same thing. And they're destroying his life. Why? Ultimately, does it have anything to do with him? No. Do they hate him? They do. That's hatred. But hatred doesn't usually see itself as hatred. It projects it onto somebody else. That's what's happening. So you can be, how dare they? No. People who are lost and far from Jesus don't understand the truth. But somebody like him says, you know, I know it's going to cost me. And I don't know the guy. I don't know his life. I don't know his walk. I'm not saying we should all watch him on TBN and read his book if he has one. I don't, I don't know. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is it's probably cost him just almost about everything. And yet he, he held his ground. And he did so with humility. There's a guy who probably doesn't love his own life unto death. Like, if that's what it takes, then bring it. I won't say his name because he's in this room. And there was more than one of you. But somebody in this place said to me something during, during, during the COVID time, and they, they just felt like they had to take a stand on a couple of things. Not in an arrogant, angry way, just in a, I won't do this. And that person said to me with tears in his eyes, and it impacted me so much. And I'm just not saying that because I didn't ask them for permission. I remember them just saying to me, a man's got to stand for something. Not somebody who doesn't love him, his own life unto death. He stood for something. 
This is a time where you're going to have to say, am I going to stay with Jesus and dig in deeper, or am I going to bail? Am I going to continue to wipe out? But as that comes, you need to know something. You need to know the closer you want to get to Jesus, the holier he's going to want to make you, and the more it's going to hurt. And that's the next process. Purification. Verses 9 to 11 there. He starts saying, Instead, I sometimes thank God, we're put as prisoners of war on display. We're condemned to die. We're condemned like fools. We're weak. We're ridiculed. Why? Christ begins to make us look like fools? Maybe. Maybe not. Here's why. Philippians 3.10. Paul wrote this. I want to know Christ and the power of resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death. I want to be like him. You know, not much longer after this letter, he wrote 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he says a very famous verse that people know, I have a thorn in my flesh or a thorn in my side. And and I prayed to God three times, take it away. And the Lord said, I won't, but my grace will be sufficient. And then a while later, he writes, about five or so years later, he writes this letter. I don't reject my suffering. I'm going to lean into it and say, I want to be like you. And if suffering makes me more like you, bring it on. (laughs) That's a level of maturity. I think I'm maybe at the baby steps of beginning to understand. Nobody's like, whoo, suffering. Come on. (laughs) Where do you go? I go to suffering church. Mm. (laughs) Nobody goes to that church. I go to Bless Life for the first assembly. Good for you. You know, nobody wants that. And yet the best ones of us, the holiest ones of us, get burned by the fire of God. And the impurities begin to come out. Matter of fact, I'm going to invite Tim to come up here for a minute. He's going to show you. I want you to take a look at this video he sent me this week. And then we're, going to, we're just going to talk for a couple of minutes about this. Go ahead and put that on, guys. The green flame is from the copper. <laughs> Don't think it's going to get hot enough to take any dross off or anything like that. See where it's liquid up here, but see how it's turning solid right now? It's never quite getting hot enough to actually. So, what we did, what he did this week, and what he's just going to fire it up here for just a second, and he's going to just show us how it works. Now, this is not the official way you do this, right? If we were going to, we're not going to be able to fully do this here today because. We want to keep our lease. <laughs> um, um, so, so Tim is, is becoming a welder, but also, uh, what would you call it, Tim? Like a glassman? Blacksmith. Blacksmith. I was like, that didn't sound right. Breathe deep, everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, just a straight up blacksmith. Um, and uh, he makes knives and numerous other things. 
It never goes the way we want it to, does it? Right. Sir. Watch out. Well, you're going to want to move. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. All right, so what is this called here? Forge. It's a forge. Use the mic because <laughs> we won't hear you this otherwise. Is, uh, this is called the forge. It's a little homemade. I call it a piggy forge. But uh, <laughs> so this is what I use to, um, to heat steel up to a critical temperature so that it can be malleable and workable. Um, but it, it also works as a, as, a, as a refinery. So what you saw in that video is actually this piece of copper or these clumps of copper. And what this is called, this is called black copper. You can see all the dirt and all the junk and all the impurities on it. It's combinations of tin, um, all kinds of just dross. Dross is, a, an un, dross is considered a worthless and usable portion uh, that has no real value. And the goal is to get it to something like this, which would be a pure copper ingot. We do the same thing with refining um, all kinds of precious metal, metals from gold to silver to what have you. So that's, that's what you witnessed in that video. This is my tool for doing so. This will get up to about 3,000 degrees. So it's definitely hot enough to, uh, to keep me warm in the winter and uh, move some steel. Wow. So. Awesome. Thank you, Tim, so much. So how, how hot did you, yeah, you can turn it off. Um, how hot did you get it to, like, in that video just to melt down? That was probably down? about 2,800 degrees. Copper is a higher melting point than gold. Okay. 2,800 degrees. How, what's the melting point for gold? I don't quite remember. Excellent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so... So the idea is, and then to liquefy it, and then the impurities come to the top, right? The, right? the impurities rise to the top. That's called oxides or right. oxidation. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens in steel refining processes. And that is unusable stuff. You want to get that off. Like if I'm working a piece of steel that starts out like a, a normal piece of steel, I can, use, I can lose up to 20% of that piece of steel that I'm working just through oxidation. Uh, welders refer to it as slag. It's just burned up impurities that, that aren't useful for the product. Let's say, let's say you're making a knife. An unrefined knife versus a refined knife. What's the difference in the end? Uh, everything. <laughs> Go ahead. So, so at a molecular structure, like at a molecular level, it's changing the molecular density and the structure of the actual piece of steel. It's going from a piece of raw material into a plasticized state which is malleable and workable. So I'll have a piece of steel that is just a piece of steel, right? It, it, there's, there's no purpose in it except for what's in the craftsman's mind. So as I work that steel, I work the piece into its potential. And that comes through a process of being put in the fire, being pulled out of the fire and worked, being put back into the fire, being pulled out of the fire and worked until it reaches a basic shape that I can use. And at that point, mm. you go from forging to forming. So mm. it starts to form, and that's when you start really getting that shape, and you say, okay, this is a tool now. This isn't just a piece of steel. This is something that can be used, it can be refined, and it can be uh, altered to a state that's going to bring more potential to it and to anyone else around it. Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. That was awesome. <laughs> It makes the point so much better than I could. Could I read something? 
Absolutely. This kind of, um, I, I'm only doing this because of some things he said earlier that I, th- I think it, it fits. So this is me just meandering about blacksmithing, okay? Because that's what I do. Um, I've done few things as cathartic, challenging, and frustrating as blacksmithing. In its rawest element, it so closely resembles the human condition and life's respective course, it instills a reverence for the sacred. The collision between the creator and the created. There have been so many times in my life when the fires are burning around me to the point it seems the very grain structure holding my being together is being altered. What's inside of me expands under the intense flames and the rush of hot air. Just as it becomes unbearable, I am ripped from the forge, set upon the level face of an unmoving immortal anvil, and hammered. With each blow, contents are either removed, relocated, or reset. What was becomes something else, something that is becoming. At last, the grip and the hammer of the master craftsman has drawn out the unseen potential, a new life, a new creation. The anvil is still the same, its face perfect and sure, despite innumerable blows. The hammer that is that was so hard, that hit so hard, is no longer an instrument of destructive punishment, but a tool of designation. Forming the completed masterpiece, a life fully as it was intended, formed under forge, friction, and foreknowledge. The trials you have in this life, the pain, the heartache, the tragedy, the hits, the fire, there is a process. Each process will be different. In these times, as hard as it may be, ask yourself, what is this working out of me? And choose to believe that the process of pain has a purpose, that there is mm. grace upon grace to be as you are truly intended. This may not be as you have planned or, have you, or as you have been told, but as you were intended. There is a master craftsman who understands and is intimately invested in you, you, a sacred life created from the rawest of elements. To others, such elemental things may hold no value. Such thoughts may be reduced to delusion and the imagination of fools. Mm. However... To the maker who sees the end for the beginning, your value is worth every tear, every frustration, and every drop of his own shed blood. So good. Thank you, Tim. Wow. Tim and Lex have been friends of Thrive since day one. Thank you, guys. And this is the choice. You can stay here or go here. Put up that verse from Malachi quick, Drew. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? He will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He'll sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold or silver, so they once again may offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Paul is telling the church in Corinth and God is telling his church today, take the purification. Let it burn. Grow. Don't run. Jump in the forge and let the blacksmith of eternity, the potter, form you. Let him pull out the impurities. Let him say to you the things you don't want to hear him say. Let him speak to you the things that are hard. And if you're like, I've been going through years of suffering. Here's my question. Have you ever in that process say, all right, Lord, I can't change this, so what do you want to do in me? Do it in me. Here's a a terrible question nobody wants to answer. What if he never takes it away? 
Will you become like him? And will you become closer to him? You say, some of you are like, but why, why, why? And I, I, look, I can't answer all the whys. I wish I could. I'm not God. What I do know is if you have walked through or walked into great suffering of soul, of emotion, of pain, of life struggle, whatever it is, you aren't being punished by God. You're being invited into the forge to be transformed and to become like him. You aren't God's enemy. You are God's heart. You are his child, and he loves you. And if he's drawing you into pain, it isn't to destroy you or consume you in the fire, but to draw it out of you. God does two things with fire. He walks, he, he purges us out of us, he purges things out of us, and or he walks us right through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was another in the fire. There he was. And they left unharmed. And then there were others. They walked through fire. But if it's the fire of God, it's not going to take you out. It will make you better. How many of you have said, God, give me patience? And then all the things in the world happen that challenge and, and throw your patience off. Like, come on! Right? And the Lord's like, I invited you to the forge. You asked. No, that's not what I wanted. And I remember years ago praying as a, as a young man, pre-kids, pre-Bible college, I just want God to break me. And I thought that was like a spiritual term. And my youth pastor was like, you really want that? Yeah, I do. And he's like, Job was broken. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, every single believer, if they're pursuing God close enough, will go through their Job season, if not more than one. As Tim said, you'll put it back in the fire. It doesn't come out, it doesn't go in and come out once. How many times just for one knife? As many as it takes. Oh, that's the best answer ever. As many as it takes. God is patient. You're not. <laughs> I already learned this lesson. Obviously not. <laughs> or you may think you got it down, and the Lord's like, you can know it a little better. <laughs> and Why? Because ultimately, if you go into verse 12 and 13, he's perfecting you. He is sanctifying you. He is pulling the dross out and making you a metal that's able to be used, that will hold untested metals, break in battle. Tested metals slide and slice through anything and hold strong against others. You become to be perfected. The best leaders begin to walk with people everywhere because they're perfected. They don't, they don't live in all this fear anymore and this anxiety. 
The best people of God become perfected to the point where they don't cut and run at every turn. They're not offended at everything. They're not, they're not easily swayed by every move. They don't call everything revival or seek it everywhere they go. They're like, I am with Jesus. I'm in on this. And I will, I, no matter what happens, I'm in on it. I am with Him. He's everything. So few American Christians like this now. There's so few people like this now. Men and women of valor and honor. I had a friend who he served in Iraq for a season and, and he was in several different branches of the military. It's a long story. But he told me the story of occasionally when Navy SEALs would show up at their base like in Iraq. When a Navy SEAL would show up they were different. You know, like they were stopping at the base for any number of reasons. Um, they, were, they, were, they were taking a day or two off. They were resting. They were getting supplies, probably usually a combination of all of the above. And, and he said, you know, they were, they're just different. They're, they're, the, their, weapons were, their, their weapons were all, all like tweaked and changed so they were, they were perfect for each soldier the way they wanted it to be. Like a normal person couldn't do it, wasn't allowed to do that to their weapon. Navy SEALs, they could do whatever they want. Navy SEAL was there and, and he goes, and you know what the other thing is? You didn't talk to them. Because <laughs> they looked like warriors and you didn't want to mess with them. And not only that, they have the ability to get away with a great amount of things the average person could not get away with. They were the elite they were different. They were perfected. There's a great quote from Spurgeon. On a wall in his bedroom, Spurgeon had a plaque with Isaiah 48.10 on it. And it said underneath, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. It is no mean thing to be chosen of God. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashions destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed. Yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. Paul, Paul goes on to say, and that they would endure with these people. Some of you think, I'm pretty mature. God's put me through a lot of fires. Yet when it comes to God's people, you're impatient, you're short, you're angry, you're easily offended. How could they do that? We need to cut them out. They're toxic. I don't like them. Let's not appoint them to leadership of that. And the Lord's, Paul's saying, I don't do that to you. Because those who've been burned by fire say, people can't do to me what the Lord has done. Bring it. If the Lord appointed me, he'll keep me here. If he doesn't want me, he'll take me out. But I will not run from people who hurt me anymore. I will run to them. And I will put my arm around them. And I will fight for relationships. That's what the men and women of God do who are perfected. We put our arms around one another. We don't push each other out. We let the Lord do the refining process in us. And when it does, it's so good. It hurts, 
but it's so good when it's done. Some of you are, you're in the fire right now. And it hurts, it's painful. You're like, God, what are you doing? And it's a fair question. Everybody asks the question, why and what are you doing when they're in the fire at some point? But if you hang in there long enough, you begin to ask the question, what do you want to do in me? What do I need to know? How do I need to grow? What pride in me just is, is lingering? What rebelliousness in me is taking over or I'm, I'm refusing to let go of? The forge of God can be so painful, but it's also so awesome. Some of you, you have walked through or seen tremendous grief. And you would think, God, where are you? Where are you? And so you're, Pastor Brian, you're saying, God did that to me? No, 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 no. I'm not saying God created the furnace. The furnace isn't the blacksmith. It's just a tool the blacksmith uses. To get your heart and to draw the impurities out of our lives to make us like him. Mold me. Shape me. Make me a man that when culture comes screaming at my door, are you a coward? I stand and I say, I am not, because I belong to my Savior. When anger and hatred come creeping up my back and say, you, you should despise this person, I say, no, I've been forgiven too much and I'm too aware of his forgiveness. When gossip taps me on the shoulder and says, you need to hear this. I've been put through the fire enough. I've had too many of my own words eaten and come back on me. And the Lord forged me in that fire to say, I'm not going to join that anymore. It hurts, but I'm not doing it anymore. Those are hard things. But here's the best part. If you do this long enough and you become perfected, you become people with great supernatural power. That's what Paul says, verse 20. He begins to say, imitate me. Be like me. Now you could say that's super prideful. How arrogant of Paul to say that. Paul's been through the fire. He knows. Get behind me. If you were on the battlefield... Would you want the newbie soldier who has all the new gear, looks really good, and everybody likes him? Or do you want the Navy SEAL who's seen this battleground before? Which do you want to follow? I don't want the newbie who has all the friends. I want the guy who get me out alive. That's what it is. You become somebody who knows the move of God. I'll tell you what, when God tells me hey, it's time to pray for this person for healing. I would say nine times out of ten, I know it's the Lord, and often I see that healing because I don't pray for it. 
I don't pray for it if the Lord's like, no, nah, not in this moment. We can always pray and believe for healing. But there's that prompting. There's that unction. Sylvia called the other week like, hey, would you pray for this thing? Yep, absolutely. And that unction of the Lord is there, that knowledge, that knowing. This is what the Spirit wants to do in that moment. We pray and we lean into it. And then God worked and God did it. Women pray in our church. And man, I love it. I wish the men would step up to it more. It's like pulling teeth to get men to pray. Man, when when our women pray, we're about to go to Mardi Gras, a few of us. We need prayer. I don't want to see or partake in anything. And we're not gonna, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't want any part of it. We're coming to be the light, not get our light diminished. We need to be perfected. We need to be formed. We need to be made into something. I don't want to ever be an average church. Let's make disciples. Let's become like Jesus. Say, God, do it in me the things I've been running from. Make me powerful like you. Are you someone worth following? I mean, honestly, right now, could you say, like somebody, in, maybe even in this room, say, I want to be on the leadership council of church. That's a good thing to strive for. Leadership's not a... But ask yourself, are you the person who belongs there? Not by what you give or how you serve, but the holistic person of who you are. In your job, are you somebody that somebody people look to? And not just because you're good at it, because your character matches your competence. If you let God form you, if you let Him change you, where are you at? Are you in the problematic place? You've just been rejecting God? Just saying, I don't, I don't want your changing. I don't want your growing. No. Nope. I came to know Jesus. I go to church. I'm done. You're not done. You're going to go back in the fire again and again and again throughout your life. Are you being purified? Maybe some of you are right in that moment right now. Some of you, some of you, and I see it. I see it even in the Spirit. You're like right here. And you're like, ah, da, ah, ah, and the Lord's like, just let me do the work. Just go into the fire and let him do the work. Have you been perfected? And are you walking in God's power? Because you're supposed to be. We need to stop trying to think. How can we fill seats? And we need to start thinking, how can we win souls? Because if we're being perfected and walking in God's power, we're going to win souls. Seats will be filled if we win souls. Make us those people, God. Make us the men and women you want us to be. I don't want to be afraid of what God wants to do in my life. We need to stop being good with being comfortable. We need to start being hungry for the purifying power of God to move in our lives so that He can move outside of our lives. 
Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh, Lord.